welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. And on this episode, we're going to do the Boogaloo with SST-184, the Zoog's Rift album, Non-Entity, the third album in the Zoog's Rift Water Trilogy. We're big Zoog's fans on the show. This is our 10th Zoog's episode, Brent, which might be... I don't know. The only band that maybe we've had on 10 times before is maybe Black Flag. Yeah. But but Zoogs, episode 10. Love it. On this episode and this release, we also get to see a bit of a softer side to Zoogs, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Arguably. And to help us continue to tell the story of the liquid Muamo, we have a special guest. Yeah, we've got Willie Lappin on the show. Awesome. The bass playing on this record is killer, and it's a great interview. Great to have Willie on and, you know, just continue on with the insane Zoog's story. One thing that really struck me, I don't know, I made this connection for the first time working up this episode. There is kind of like a Zoog's collective, right? There is this collective of musicians and we've kind of come across a few collectives kind of as we've been working through all of these episodes this is definitely one of them and these guys they're all on the zoog's wavelength so very cool to have willie on yeah we kind of like the last few weeks man you've got the these immortal souls collective they all played on each other's records and had their own little scene uh you had the everett shock collective henry kaiser collective no i know it's 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 kind of cool um and it's interesting how they they definitely like when they get together on these records these collectives they definitely have a vibe there is a reason that they found each other and i love it yeah well our spiel this week kind of relates to all of that i would say yeah you want to hit it off with a trigon spiel yeah, so way back when we had Mark Myler on episode 120, Ipecac, and on episode 121, Interim yep. Resurgence. Yep. And he mentions on that episode, one of them, a record that he put out on his label called Woodstock 1985. And I don't remember what all he said about it. I never go back and listen to our episodes, but something he said intrigued me, and I tried finding a copy of it, and I couldn't. Did a little digging, found a super old Trigon website that's still up for his label, and just got super intrigued by Trigon. So I started asking Mark a bunch of questions, and he sent us a huge Trigon package. Yeah. So uh, Trigon was an LA-based label started in 1984 by Mark Myler. Seems to have been active off and on until 2007. There's stuff on the tree, like Bag Theory. Tons. Which was an improv group, including M. Siegel and George Radeye of Paper Bag, and mm-hmm. also uh, included Richie Haas and Mike, Mark Myler. There's the Nutritionally Sound record that he did with Zoogs in 1990. Rick Lawndale released an album on Trigon. Right. So, Ryan, uh, there was two comps that he sent. Well, three, really, if you count the Mark Myler comp. We'll get into that. So... First, I'll just zip us right into the comp zone, Ryan. And <laughs> why don't you 
tell us about Woodstock 1985. Okay, sure. Yeah. So one thing we should also mention about Trigon is it was like a, a studio too, right? Yeah. And this this Zoog's record that we're talking about, I think most, if not all, of this non-entity record was recorded at Trigon Studios. Oh yeah, lots of the Zoog's records. I don't know if we would have had all these Zoog's records were it not for Trigon. Exactly. So Woodstock 1985, it's uh, it's a compilation of, I don't know, it's produced and engineered by Mark Mylar, as are many of the releases on Trigon. It comes with a rolling paper and a bumper sticker. Did yours? Because an... I didn't get a rolling paper in mine. Oh yeah, I've got one. Really? Yeah, a red rolling paper. What did you get? Well, I got the bumper sticker and it got me thinking like, the Zoogs crew must have had a... Bumper sticker thing. They must have had an inn somewhere with bumper stickers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. This this comp, though, is it's an avant-garde parody gonzo record with the Zoogs crew all over it. It's co-produced by Richie Haas and Jonathan Mako Sharky. Art direction and front cover by Zoogs Rift. My take on this is it is all recordings by made-up bands yeah. that are totally from the Zoogs crew. They're all one-offs um, with made-up names like Cannabis Rex, The Wounded Regans, which is probably a playoff of the Dead Kennedys, English 101. My favorite band name is Rastafazul. <laughs> that's, prob- that's probably the best one. It's neat. It's interesting. It's not much of a toe-tapper, though, I would say, this comp. The Ugly Genitals of America play on the Truby Band. <laughs> yeah. Alcoholic and his DTs. There's, you know, it's a total gonzo record. That's yeah. just a, a made-up festival record that it's likely all this this Zoogs and Trigon Collective will all play on it. It's neat. It's, yeah. it's for sure neat. Well, like, there's, you know, like you mentioned, a few of the people. Owen Green also. You've seen him yep. before. Bass player, uh, played on some Zoog stuff. Uh, Matt Carlson, who's from Earth Dies Burning and the nightclub, the Zoog's nightclub sequence tracks. Yep. Uh, who else did I see on here? Well, there's John Truby, Craig Uncritch. There's Ed O'Brien. Ed O'Brien, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the whole crew, man. Artwork by Zoog's, too. My favorite song is by English 101, though, Crimson and Medimusel. That song is, <laughs> that's the best one for sure. <laughs> All right, and then there's this uh, CD comp called Auto Body Experience, like auto, like automobile. It's subtitled 20 Turbocharged Bands from L.A. Came out in 1994. Some experimental stuff, uh, but much of this, as the title implies, is kind of the beginnings of what would come to be generally termed punk and roll, a term I just despise. Hmm. Um. So we've got, uh, we start off with Pop Defect, early Seattle band formed in 1980, originally featuring Tom Price, yeah. who left the band to form the U-Men and later Gas Huffer. After Tom left, uh, Al Anderson, Nick Scott brought in Charlie Hutchinson, and they moved to L.A. Uh, and then released some singles. Their first album came out in 88. The last one came out in 2000. Some of them on flip side, considering they were kind of mainstays of the scene, in LA, I don't think we've actually ever discussed Pop Defect. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I I have their records. I like them. Yeah, this was good. Kind of reminded me of Iggy's theme for Repo Man a little bit. 
Hmm. Then we've got the Tommy Knockers. There's a few bands with that name. This is the great L.A. garage rock revivalist band who uh, I'm a fan of. I'm assuming you are too. Yeah. Uh, so this is good. Backbiter. This rules. The song's called It's Untrue. It's Bob Lee of a zillion bands like Clawhammer, Crawl Space, Black Gang, the Bob Lee Men, uh, that band Natasha Philip Nova with Watt Biza and Devin Sarno. This is just a killer garage rock song. Uh, they had a few full links. I'll be tracking them down, including something on Man's Ruin and another one on uh, the label Blue Man from Uranus, which I don't. I don't know who ran that label, but Dez's band Vita released their album on that label. Backbiter. Uh, Chicken Scratch. This is a quirky, almost Zoogs-esque track. Looks like a one-off featuring John Wall of Claw and Hammer and Midget Handjob, the band with Keith Morris. Uh, the Paper Tulips, Long Beach punk rock with a bunch of records on Flipside Records. They have a cool kind of John and Exene thing happening on the vocals, so I'd like to hear yep. more of that. Uh, a favorite band of mine, The Humpers, who I was actually listening to today, probably because of this comp, uh, with a live version of their classic Murder City Revolution. Ryan, if you're a Humpers fan, but you've never checked out Scott Deluxe Drake's post-Humpers bands, like The Vice Principals, The Love Soars, his solo stuff, or his new band, Gorilla Teens, then get on it, because it all rules. Suplex Slam, Dalsy Rock, right up my alley. Looks like they self-released a record in 93 but I couldn't find much about them. Jonathan Hall on guitar also of Backbiter and currently in a cool band called The Freaks uh, with the former rhythm section of Nebula. Shoe Face, not super memorable some uh, they have some albums on a label called Fart Blossom Enterprises ran by uh, band leader Bob Durkee who had an early LA uh, punk band based out of Pomona, called Pillsbury Hardcore. Heard that name before, for sure. Something, a band, or... I'm not sure if they're a band, but they call themselves... This is Edwin. It's P. Edwin Letcher uh, from a band called Cheeseburger. They have singles... Oh, yeah. You know them? Have we talked oh, yeah. about them before? Cheeseburger? Yeah. I don't know, but uh, they've got a couple of full lengths and a few singles that I've got. Yeah, on labels like Dionysus and Scooch Pooch. Uh, later a full length on Trigon it isn't like Garage Rock Revival it sounds like Edwin would have been pretty unhinged live and I read a bit that I would that I found about Cheeseburger that makes them sound like a pretty wild live band yep Dizbuster is a cool hard rock band I know I've mentioned before uh, it's the rhythm section of the 80s version of the Lazy Cowgirls uh, another of my faves on the comp, The Super Cools, with a killer garage rocker called Booze Cruisin'. They've got singles on Screamin' Apple and Dionysus, Wicked 90s Garage Rock, Janet Housden on bass. And lead guitarist Jeff Martin was in uh, the Surf Trio, Ryan. Ah. And he also owned the great unsung garage label Blood Red Vinyl and Discs. The Jack... Uh, could not find anything about this band. They do have a single on Trigon, though. This is also way up my alley. Uh, great Stonesy swagger. Uh, Ken All Night Rocker and the Wild Eyed Southern Boys. Again, I couldn't find anything about this group. This track has a real touch-and-go era butthole surfers vibe, so that's cool. 
a band called God's Gift to God. Again, nothing I could find. Michael Morassi on vocals, I'm assuming, is the same Michael Morassi who played drums in Downey Mildew. I don't know if you remember them, Ryan. Jason Kahn told us about them because he was in oh, that band okay. pre, right. uh, pre-UCO. Looks like this group had some future Midget Handjob members also. And then Riot Act. Dalsy Rock with members of Crawl Space, uh, Dizbuster, uh, Carmen Hildebrew on vocals and guitar. Mark Myler and Barcode Ranch. Give me a fix. This is awesome. New wavy, Devo-esque punk. Blazing mm-hmm. guitar from this guy, Brian Lamb. Uh, the Electric Ferrets, punk band from L.A. who actually have a full length on Get Hip that came out last year. I keep pretty on top of Get Hip releases, but I somehow missed it. Uh, they call it a concept psych garage double album. So you know I'm on top of that. Fearless Leader, infamous band from L.A., almost like a less filthy, more talented mentors or something like that. They also have a single on Trigon. The Grey Spikes, this is a band I've wanted to hear for a while. This is pre-Bell Ray's Tony Fate. They had a full length in 96 on Nitro, but I've never been able to find a copy. Cool, kind of catchy punk rock. And then Crawl Space, long-running LA group featuring a lot of these people. Eddie Flowers, Mm -hmm. Alan Clark, Teeth Taligman, Joe Dean, Sarge Adam. Probably still active in some capacity. Their stuff is all over the map. This track is like interesting, experimental, jazzy rock. Saccharin Trust fans would probably dig some of crawl, what Crawl Space does. Crawl Space, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that comp is better than Woodstock 1985 for my money. Yeah. A few other things really quick that Mark sent us was this great cassette tape from 1991, Mark Myler and Barcode Ranch. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, I loved it, man. It rules so hard. Yeah. Again, it's it's all over the place musically. There's some synthy art rock, some campy stuff, some stone cold, just straight up hard rock. All the playing is top shelf. Yeah. I, I sure wish this was streaming on Bandcamp so people could hear it. Yeah, some of it kind of sounds like the Dickies for me, maybe. The highlight is the Mark Mylar penned song. You don't seem to care. That was my fave. It was the catchiest for me. Yeah. But some some insane playing and shredding on this sucker. And the it says on the liner notes, uh, their spiritual advisor is Jonathan Mako Sharkey. That's right. He sent us the Chromosphere CD that came up on in one of our episodes. Kind of his more trad jazz band uh, that heavily features his tenor sax playing. Yeah, jazz rock fusion of the highest order for me. On this one. Yeah, that's streaming on Spotify, so everyone should check that out. Came out in 2011 on Trigon. This, I really liked, man. The two separate Grellas, self-titled record from 2004, all over the tree. Owen Green's on it, uh, who was played bass in on Interim Resurgence. Yeah, Zoogs. Mark, yeah, Mark on tenor sax, Jonathan Mako Sharkey on synthesizers, Richie Haas on drums, M. Siegel on percussion. The album is all over the place. In yeah. the best of ways. There's industrial noises, lots of cool synth stuff, bongos, tons <laughs> of crazy samples, some jazz freakouts, weird acapella stuff, a track made up almost entirely of different car horns playing the melody. And to cap it off, speaking of the Dickies, a wild version of the Dickies, You Drive Me Ape, You Big Gorilla. You Big Gorilla, yeah. Yeah. 
there was a track on here. I can't remember which one it was, actually. It, it's a really weird comparison that, you know, I, I'm sure you would know, but maybe not many other people. But there was some tracks in here that reminded me of that No Means No associated band Itch Yeah, from time to time, which is really weird. But uh, I was into it for that, for sure. Yeah, well, I hope Mark listens to this. Uh, I'm definitely going to send him a link to this episode. But Mark, get this stuff up on Bandcamp, man. This People need to hear this. Uh, and especially the Mark Myler So Far comp, 1972 to 2007. Yeah, Again, wow. Yeah, all over. Some of this we've talked about because it's off of their stuff off Barcode Ranch and Nutritionally yep. Sound with Zoogs. Uh, it's super eclectic. There's ragtime, almost like klezmer music, new wave. There's a song with John Truby called March of the Geckos, which is cool. A super catchy tune called Gold Record that says it's off of a flip side tape. Probably some long lost cassette comp that came out with an early, you know, early flip side or something. I just, I sure wish this was more widely available so people yeah. could hear it. I had one other comp too that I that I actually own called uh, "Give Me the Keys." Cool. You ever heard of "Give Me the Keys"? You mentioned it. Yep. Yeah. So "Give Me the Keys," nineteen eighty-eight Trigon. It has Crawl Space on it and Claw Hammer, two of the bands that are you know long associated with Trigon, and then what appears to be a bunch of one-off bands, but it's cool. It comes. It's called. Uh, Seven driving bands from L.A. The other bands on it are Moist and Meaty, The Next Big Things from Britain, Thirsty Brats, Fearless Leader, Lexington. Uh, again, I think some of these are just one-offs, but there are like promo, promo sheets inside here that suggest that these bands are, you know, maybe not one-offs, but I just couldn't find much about them. But I actually bought this not knowing anything about Trigon. I bought it because I buy anything with Clawhammer on it, and this is this is a great comp. I just love stuff like this, man. It reminds me of, like, the uh, Palisades Juvenile Delinquents or something. Just a group <laughs> of friends, you know, with one, a couple key people, like Mark Myler, who... Mark Myler, You know, sure. how much of this stuff would not have happened without someone like Mark Myler recording it and releasing it and playing in all these different bands and probably corralling people. It's just cool. It's just a cool snapshot of a bunch of artistic friends having a having a moment in time. Yeah. Thanks for sending us that stuff, Mark. It was a real treat to go through it and kind of listen to some of the stuff mentioned on the episodes you were on. Yeah. Before we get into this record, Brant, I do have a Brant's rant. Oh, okay. Do you want to hear a Brant's rant? I think a rant on a Zoogs episode just makes perfect sense. Exactly. That's that's <laughs> kind of what I was thinking here. So I've been thinking about this one for a while. So hang in there, okay? Oh. Hopefully you can see where I'm coming from, all right? Sure. This is perfectly timed for a Zoogs episode, even though he doesn't provide as much rage as on prior releases. But I have to get something off my chest. Anyways, can I do that? Yeah. Of course, this is the so. you, this is the platform. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't recall 
in my short existence, a more divisive time. Everything is so heavily politicized. We're all being forced to pick sides. We're all fearing for our well-being, and it's becoming harder and harder to find common ground. It's also becoming harder and harder to know what the truth really is. With global corporations controlling the media, manipulating and mining data to further secure their power and control. So these are interesting times, and they're troubling times. But I believe in us, and I think there is common ground that can hopefully bridge some differences and bring us together for the common good, Brent. Okay. In my in my rant. Because we all want the same thing. And that is to safely and securely store and preserve our bloody record collections. And I'm here today as a Brant's rant to take a stand. And I hope you and my, our listeners will join me in my fight against the hogwash, the claptrap, the absolute poppycock that is those friggin crinkly outer sleeves and and sticky and rippy hype stickers who among us is immune from the endless disappointment that occurs when you get a record and it comes with a crinkly outer sleeve you know what i you know what i'm talking about right yeah. those crinkly outer sleeves they're shiny they're super sharp they always the, the seams split are you talking they about suck. the kind that fold over on the back and glue to the back of the oh dude <laughs> That's, that's, God help you if you get one with a resealable flap that either gets stuck on itself or on the record jacket itself. Those friggin' crinkly sleeves. Not only are they not appropriate at all, you can't recycle them. And we all know you can't actually friggin' use them. Moreover, another despicable trend I've been noticing is really cool hype stickers on either crinkly sleeves or the shrink wrap when they can't be peeled off nicely to preserve them. Mm. I friggin' hate that, man. Here, too, we're faced with another calamity of epic proportions that, in this case, I believe, is either unintentional or ill-advised, but no less a total affront to good and responsible vinyl archiving. So I'd, I'd like us to make a pact. Okay. <laughs> and hopefully affect some change. If you get a crinkly sleeve at a store with no hype sticker on it. Just take it off and leave it with the clerk, advising that you are part of the No Crinkly Collective, and that only soft poly will do. If that crinkly sleeve has a hype sticker on it, you'll have to return it at a later date after hopefully being able to take that hype sticker and put it on a nice, soft, flexible poly outer sleeve. Now, as for the sticky and rippy hype stickers, I have had to resort to a point of no return approach with those where if I can get a corner started and it's looking good, off she goes. But if not, I need to cut it out and just put it inside the jacket or tape it on the inside of a nice, soft, flexible poly outer sleeve. But my friends, the amount of irrecoverable sticky and rippy hype stickers is too numerous to count. And here I'm going to recommend we all spread the word about the need for labels and manufacturers to secure and supply the finest quality Easy Peel LP hype stickers that come off in one smooth, satisfying motion with no resistance and most importantly, no rips or tears. And you know the ones I'm talking about. Yeah, they, yeah. Peel off, they, they peel off and it feels awesome, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, and you and when you're sticking them on your sleeve, you can't see the little picky end where you you picked at it. Exactly, exactly. 
and also I'm going to recommend considering when you're ordering online and we're all ordering online a lot these days when they have, you know, special instructions for the seller or whatever, just say, please make any hype stickers easy peel when you send it to me. None of the sticky and rippy hype stickers and no crinkly outer sleeves because they all suck so hard. And that, Brent, is my rant. <laughs> I feel like this is a pretty unimpeachable position to take on both fronts. And I hope all of us can take a stand together and make some real meaningful change in this world. <laughs> screw the crinkly outer sleeves and screw the rippy and sticky hype stickers. Screw them. We need some solidarity. That's what we need. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll, I was going to ask you, like, to expand on, like, how this would apply to someone that doesn't use sleeves, but I want to get to this episode. Don't even, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. Don't say that. You must use the nice poly outer sleeves, my friend. All right. Thank you for that rant. <laughs> that epic rant. You've done a, done us all a, a good service there, Ryan. Use the hashtag, die crinkly sleeves die. I'm sure, I'm sure you're speaking to everyone who listens to this show. Everyone is raising their fists yeah. in solidarity, I'm sure. Should we get over to this Zoog's record? Yeah, let's get even more crazy. History lesson, part one. All right, Brent, like, like I said, this is our 10th Zoog's episode. Here are the first nine, so everyone can go back and re-listen to them. Episode 77, The Island of Living Puke with Craig Unkrich, Mr. California. Episode 88, Looser Than Clams. Episode 99, Water with E. Bentley O'Brien, the first in the Water Trilogy. And remember, of course, those catalog numbers, 77, 88, and 99. That's no coincidence. Episode 120, Ipecac with Mark Mylar. And 121, Interim Resurgence, also with Mark Mylar. Episode 122, Amputees in Limbo. Episode 123, Idiots on the Miniature Golf Course with John Truby. That's right, you had Zoogs four weeks in a row at that time. Episode 137, Water 2, At a Safe Distance with Mr. California, Craig Unkrich again. And our last Zoogs episode was episode 174, Son of Puke with Laura Rift. That was a killer episode. And a cool little cassette too. Again, Side B rules. Yeah. Man, like, I'll just enjoy where we're at right now, but I'm pretty bummed to see that we've only got two Zoogs releases left after this. Well, thankfully, he has like seven or eight more that aren't on SST. So, yeah, you know, there's, there's still lots of uh, Zoogs to mine. Okay, Ryan, so some of the people on this record. Uh, we've got Rocky Howard on accordion. Mm -hmm. Our guest this week, Willie Lappin on bass. Uh, one of the mainstays, Richie Haas, on drums and percussion. I don't know. Have we seen Richie on drums before on a Zoog's record? I'm sure he's played some kit, but he's mostly been like marimba. Yeah. And, and xylophone and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, of course, we've got the liquid Moamo himself, Zoog's Rift, on guitar and lead vocals. Kirk it actually says all guitars and vocals, which is not true. Yeah. <laughs> well uh it is if we're talking about the lp oh right because john truby is only on the bonus tracks yeah is that right yeah yeah, yeah. okay fair point truby, fair point truby's on one track i believe uh we've compost heap yeah 
uh, on trombone and tuba, Toby Holmes, which, as you'll hear in the interview, Willie reminded me, we have heard Toby before. He was on the Scott Colby Slide of Hand record. Ah, right. And Craig Unkrich, Mr. California, on Synthesizer on, I believe, three tracks. But we'll mm -hmm. confirm that when we go through the tracks. Recorded March of 88 at Trigon Studios in Canoga Park. Mastered by, who else? Mr. John Golden. Yep. Production coordinator, Rich Ford. We've been seeing that a lot lately, where Rich was kind of handling the, you know, I think getting getting these records ready, you know? Mm -hmm. Coordinating the whole thing. The artwork, the getting the recordings, getting them mastered. Uh, here's a little thing. He doesn't go too much into it in... Uh, in his book, Clams in a Glass, but he does talk a little bit about it. He says, In late 1987, I began writing weekly press releases, which I eventually called datagrams, primarily to send out to my and SST's mailing lists. I use these to exercise my creative writing as well as report on current Zoog's Rift activities, comment on social and political issues, and teach philosophy, all through humor and satire. I later used these articles for the back album covers of the Non-Entity and Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans LPs. Once again, it was as if I was making more enemies than friends. <laughs> as 1988 rolled around, I found myself without an active band. Willie had left to work on Scott's album, Craig was having personal problems, and Mark Crawford packed up his drums and split to Northern California to resume playing with Henry Kaiser. I started planning for a new band concept and started advertising for more exotic instruments like accordion and trombone. My guitar playing was in great form these days and I decided to pursue primarily instrumental music for 1988. In January of 1988, the band was once again back together with Willie on bass, Rich on drums, John Truby back on guitar, Rocky Howard on accordion and Toby Holmes on trombones. The new material we were doing seemed to mesh very well, and the band was very unique. We recorded the non-entity album, Water 3, once again having nothing to do with the other Water albums, in March, and prepared to do, of all unexpected things, our first European tour. And I don't know if we've said this yet, Ryan, but the record is subtitled Fan Black Data. Mm -hmm. It seems there was this booking agent in Holland... His girlfriend was a big Zoog's Riff fan, and he was talked into calling SST to arrange for us to come to Europe and play in Holland, Germany, Austria, and Denmark at these music festivals. In May, we got on a plane and did the tour, which was not without its own set of problems. Ultimately, the tour was successful, we had new fans in Europe, and the potential for, for selling more records and making more money from the music. Now, I'll just read you very briefly this next part. While in Holland, we recorded one of the shows, which would eventually comprise side one of my next album to be, Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans. So you'll hear a little bit about that referenced in the interview. That's what we're talking about when we're mentioning recording sessions on the tour. But I, there is a whole series of datagrams in this book that details the whole tour, but I figure we'll, we'll uh, save some of that stuff for the Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans Next episode. episode. How 
surprised do you think SST was to receive a call asking for Zoog's Rift to be brought over to tour Europe? <laughs> I'm sure that that was one of the least likely phone calls. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I do have a datagram here. I got some stuff, Ryan, from uh, our friend John Butler Kerr, who's a huge Zoog's fan and has a whole bunch of Zoog's memorabilia, some of his paintings. Uh, he got uh, some stuff from Tom Brown when Tom passed away from his estate. And we also got some stuff from Craig Unkrich. So I have some da datagrams and some other stuff. This is a special bulletin datagram issued February 12th, 1988. The news has been out for only a few days and already we're being flooded with phone calls. So we figured we'd better verify it right here and now. On Monday, February 8th, it was made official. Starting in March, Zoog's Rift will once again be doing a series of live shows featuring his all-new band, Non-Entity. Plans are now being made for local as well as out-of-town gigs and a European tour of Holland in May. A new nationwide USA tour is now being booked for September. I don't think that tour happened, though. Mm. The new band will be premiering new music, from their forthcoming album slated for May release, also called Non-Entity, which marks a major change in the direction of Riff's music, taking it into new creative territory not explored in the past. Additional info on this exciting new project can be obtained by contacting Mike Whitaker at SST or calling the new Zoog's Rift hotline 818-718-1920 which will supply you with frequent updates as they happen. Thanks again for your unexpectedly overwhelming interest, and by all means, continue to stay in touch. So I've read a lot of these datagrams, and that one is like uncharacteristically optimistic, I would say. Yeah. Many of them are more like Zoog's rants. Well, like stuff that's on the liner notes, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ryan, you want to throw it over to Willie? Yeah, man. All right, we're joining the podcast today by Willie Lappin. Willie, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Brent. All right, Willie, take me back if you can. Where did you go to high school? Um, I went to high school in uh, in the greater Los Angeles area. So um, I'm a native of the area where I still live. I've, I've traveled extensively, but I always seem to end up back here. I'm not quite sure why, but I seem to. Uh, when did you first start getting interested in music? Uh, well, I, I was interested in, in rock. I was uh, being a little older, uh, you know, I, as, as a little kid, I, uh, you know, was struck by the Beatles right away. Um, I actually lived uh, growing up in, in a beach city, beach area, mm -hmm. and everybody's listening to the Beach Boys out there. But um, I was more... A Beatles kind of guy and then and then as as I was growing you know, and the doors came in I was doors I was off uh, I was drawn to, to to Motown soul music and and uh, in general I tended to to like the um, English English rock bands English imports and and blues and um, but you know it's it, 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 living it, with a limited existence I didn't, I wasn't exposed to a lot of varied things or a lot of unusual time signatures, which is kind of funny because that's what I ended up playing a lot of. Was bass your first instrument? 
actually saxophone was my first instrument mm. when I was very young. And, uh, and I was, I was, uh, played a wrong note in the school orchestra as a little child. And I was duly rebuked multiple times by the, the, the teacher conductor. And, uh, and then eventually after he practically had me in tears, he looked at my, at my sheet music and realized that it was a mistake. There were mistakes on it. And, and I just threw my hands up and said, that's it. I, I'm done with this. And, um, pretty much gave, I think, I think uh, a couple friends of, uh, of mine had, we had a band and it was like, we were just little kids. And so I think it was, uh, accordion and, uh, guitar and, and, uh, saxophone. So I don't think we actually played any songs. I think we just like to hang out. <laughs> okay. When did you start playing bass? Um, uh, some friends in high school <clears throat> were starting a band and they, um, they wanted a bass player. They're close friends. And they said, you're going to be our bass player. And they literally uh, took me, they took me up to an area called Laurel Canyon here where there was a lot hotbed of music going on. And, and one of the guy's older brothers uh, had some instruments in the house and they stuck a, a Rickenbacker bass in my hand and said, here, you're going to be the bass player. And I proceeded to break two strings trying to tune it because I had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. Um, eventually I did get a cheap bass and uh, was able to buy a real cheap sort of Hofner knockoff. It had that scroll on the end that looked like a cello. Yep. And, uh, and then that sufficed um, for a while until, um, until I was playing a party with the, with, band and and some girl was drunk and she she fell into my guitar which was leaning against a wall and that was that was the end of that face <laughs> okay now th this was covers i'm assuming um yeah it was that was we were doing stuff like um uh early neil young and crazy horse and uh let's see if i can remember some of the stuff we did it was it was very simple easy two to three chord patterns mm -hmm. um and uh yeah and it was just parties we really couldn't make much money at it and then and then uh, eventually I, I i moved on to a little better band and uh, and we we started doing uh some who stuff but also starting to do some um originals and and if you've if you've listened to my bass playing you probably hear the influence of john antwistle in there yeah uh, yeah. So, uh, who was a very early in influence on me. And then, um, and then by happenstance, uh, guitar player that I was playing with, I'd been using other people's basses and he, and we walked into a pawn shop and there was a Fender bass. And, uh, we said, well, this looks like a good bass. And I got that bass and believe it or not, it is with me today. As a matter of fact, it was right behind me. <laughs> And awesome. that is, the, it's a 1964 uh, Fender Jazz. And uh, and that bass has stayed with me forever. And it's, you hear it a, a lot on the recordings. Mm -hmm. if, if I'm not playing uh, fretless, it, I'm probably playing that bass. Yeah, my bass playing uh, co-host insisted that I ask uh, about what basses you were playing on this record. He thinks maybe it was a, a Kramer or an Alembic. Um, actually it was, it was not the, the, so I think, I think everything on there is fretless. Yeah. That's what he thought um, too. 
except I think Locked Out is uh, maybe either this jazz bass or I think at the time I also had a Yamaha BB2200, which had active electronics and was mm. a little more aggressive. But um, I think the I was struggling, if I remember correctly, I was struggling a little bit with Locked Out because it's it's very fast mm-hmm. and yep. and and Zoogs is 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 pounding away as fast as he can and Richie's pounding away as fast as he can and I, I think um I struggle with the intonation a little on the fretless so I, I may have used the the jazz or, or the the Yamaha the fretless I use is actually an overwater ah, okay. so it's a British bass mm-hmm. um and uh it's uh, it's an overwater custom a single pickup um hung bucking uh, pickup i don't think they made a whole lot of them i think it this is 1984 base mm. and i think i've looked around to see if i could find what other people have and i still have that page and i've looked around to see maybe to get a value on it what other people have and i, I cannot find it anymore. wow i've never seen it anymore. <laughs> so I, I either i got the only one or or they are long since gone or people just treasure them but mm-hmm. um but yeah, that was what I was using. And that actually was my first fretless. It was my first foray into, I had a stand-up bass, which okay. I used a little bit on previous, some of the previous Zoogs albums. I also used it on Scott Colby's album. Mm-hmm. Yep. But other than that, I, I was pretty much a fretted guy until, okay. until I picked up this bass. Do you remember the first time you heard Zoogs, like the music? I actually, um, the first time I heard, yeah, the first time I heard Zoogs, uh, I was playing with Scott, with Scott Colby in in a band called Little Triggers right. um, that morphed into a band that that was called Pressure and um, and Scott and I. Um, it was it was more uh, pop new wave oriented, um, and 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 the, the band was teetering on self destruction. And uh, and I was hanging in on it. And Scott hung in because I was hanging in, and and I remember that he uh, took me to I think it was um, there was there was a set of clubs here in L.A. Madam Wong's Madam Wong's West and Madam Wong's East, and I believe, I think that that Zoogs was playing Madam Wong's West, and Scott took me there. We went to see them, and and I think my first introduction was hearing Heart Attack. <laughs> and and I was I was I mean I I just loved it I was stunned mm-hmm. um, at sort of you know and I'd actually been a very early Pink Floyd fan and one of the things I found very interesting about Pink Floyd was the ability to take noise into music right yep and 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 I began listening to everything from car engines or whatever different. I began listening to them for rhythms and, and for music. And so when I heard Heart Attack and I was just stunned by some of the pounding on the bass that uh, Ed O'Brien was doing and uh, and just the way the parts fit together without what, what didn't seem to have any rhyme or reason initially on hearing it. Um, so that was my that was, I think, my first introduction to Zooks was listening to Heart Attack. I have you joining around 86, possibly, in time for the Island of Living Puke. Now, how did that happen? The, uh, as, as I said, the band Scott and I were in, uh, imploded. It was on the edge of, um, 
signing a contract with uh, mm. Geffen Records, and the whole thing just exploded. Wow! And and I was so oh, I was I was despondent because I had my <laughs> my hopes set on this band. I we we're going to be stars, and <clears throat> and then Zooks uh, got word out through to Scott and that he was that he he signed with SST and he was going to do this album. And that he wanted me to play bass on. And I said, wow, um, you already have a bass player. <laughs> and, and he said, yeah, don't worry about that. Let me take care of that. And uh, and that's the first time I'd ever worked on a record where somebody had written completely different bass lines or given us, you know, and so Ed did, had the more aggressive bass lines and I had the more melodic bass lines. And, um, and I remember working on that album and 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 Zooks would come in and he'd give you little pieces, sort of like um, when I was working with uh, Scott and and where uh, John John French from Beef mm -hmm. Beefheart was in re in rehearsal. We were in rehearsal, and sitting around talking, and John was saying that uh, that uh, Don Van Vliet would come in and he just like throw chunks of piece of paper that had notes on it and stuff, and he'd take here, and then and then John would sort them and make parts out of them. <laughs> And, and 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 Zooks worked in a way like that sometimes, not always. <clears throat> but he would come in and he would say, "Well, here's uh, here's the guitar part." And he, in that case, Scott was on guitar, um, and Zooks was on guitar. I think there were just about two of everything in there, except for drums, I think. And he'd say, "Here's a part. Learn this part." And then he'd say, "Ed, learn this bass part. Willie, learn this bass part." And and we we work on them, but it wasn't until later when he, we, all the parts started being put together that I saw the bigger picture. Yeah. I, it's like I was in the dark and I'm going, I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> I have no idea how this is going to work. Right. And, and Zoogs would often write, um, he'd write the song titles and the time uh, before he'd had the song written. Okay. <laughs> so he'd plan the album ahead. He'd say, okay, he, these are the songs I want. Mm -hmm. And then I haven't finished the songs, but this is what I want. And I, this is the time I want them to run. <clears throat> and then he would, um, and then he'd kind of fit the thing together. And, and, and I'm just going, this isn't, this isn't going to work. I, I cannot see how this is going to possibly work. <laughs> and then, you know, lo and behold, the band plays together and my mouth falls open and I'm going, he's hearing the parts way ahead of me here. Parts. He knows where this is going. He's, he's, you know, his math skills were good mm -hmm. and he's thinking measures ahead. He's thinking, you know, Willie, you play this for 20 times and, and you, uh, uh, Ed play this for 15 times and you're going to come together somewhere along 30 times and it's just going <laughs> to boom. And, and I wouldn't see that. I go, yeah, isn't going to work. And then my eyes are wide open when all of a sudden, it just dovetails together. <laughs> that must have been a lot of fun. It was an eye opener for me. That was the first time extensively I'd worked with odd time signatures. And I don't know if you can see, I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, <laughs> uh, these, these are difficult times. And it's got uh, 17, 16, and yeah. 9, 8. And, um, and that was pretty much like the first time I'd worked with really difficult time signatures and and not only that but zooks would change them up in the same song right 
So uh, I, I'm trying to remember which song it was. <sighs> Might have been Art Band. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, yeah. Where, where, where essentially we learned it as a phone number. Oh, really? <laughs> and, he, and he'd say, okay, here's the phone number. Five, seven, nine, six, eight. And then you would play a measure of five, a measure of seven, a measure, and as fast as you could. <laughs> you survived the Shitheads Across America tour? No, I didn't do that tour. Oh, you didn't do that tour. No, okay. I was I was working um, yeah, I was working a day job as auto parts salesman mm. uh, for a car dealership. <clears throat> and um, and I I think there was a diff one difficulty with with going on that tour. And I'm not sure if I'd had an argument with Zooks or not. Mm. Because it's not uncommon having arguments with Zooks. You know, we've talked to a number of people that played with them and Honestly, like it seems like many of them had on again, off again relationships with him, and you played with him for years, but maybe one of his longest serving collaborators. I mean, there were times. I, mean, I remember one time we got in a disagreement about political philosophy, and as you know, <laughs> he was an objectivist, and yeah. and and myself, John Sharkey, we were far to the left, mm -hmm. and I think I think Zugs and I had a falling out when he, he called me evil or something and uh and, and, and he was he was very um intractable mm -hmm. on on his 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 opinion so so there was a short time where i was out of band um that i just we just weren't talking and uh, this it could have been then i i don't remember i just remembered that um when they um water was the was the album that they did after the American tour because I, I believe Mongoloid Middle America is on there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it and it details uh, <laughs> the uh, their the their tour. experience in Pittsburgh <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. so I no I didn't do that tour um, and and it's, from everything I've heard about it uh, I'm really glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So fast forwarding then to this album. Now I've read a bunch of reviews about you know from this era with this record. It's Definitely a departure, I think, for Zooks. Maybe a little more melodic. Definitely some of the instruments are a little different. Was that something he talked to you about going into it? Like, I want to go in a bit bit of a different direction? Or do you even consider it well, different? I, you know, he, he didn't talk to me about it, but he, you know, he, he had moods. Yeah. He had moods. And his moods were often informed on what he was listening to at the time or what moved him. Right. And and at the time he was listening to a lot of Tim Buckley, clearly big big Tim <laughs> Buckley fan. And um, I mean later on, you can hear I think um, uh, 1990 uh, uh, I think Torment. You begin to hear an influence a heavy James Brown influence from mm -hmm. And he, you know and he and he's fans of these people all along anyway. It's just suddenly he's immerses himself more in one or the other and. And I think, you know, Tim Buckley's stuff is a little more subdued. Yeah, for sure. It's funny, I when I was listening to this, the CD version with the bonus tracks, I was thinking of the uh, Son of Puke record where he does all the Beatles songs. And it, I, a, a lot of them, especially like the Paul McCartney stuff, the Wings stuff, several were off of one record. And I I believe all three of these songs are off of the the same Tim Buckley album. They could be. I don't recall what album they were on, but 
but it would it would make sense. Um, yeah, I actually I have a copy here, and I've never opened it. Uh-huh. And the reason I never opened it is because I have the this, this CD, but I also have a test pressing. Oh, cool. And and so I I've always listened to the test pressing, and I and I don't know what I can say on the show or not. You can say whatever you want. I can say whatever I want because um, I I I was looking at the runout groove, and if I don't know if you've looked at the runout groove and the one you have, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it says something interesting. And I'm I'm looking at this one, and in the runout groove of the test pressing. It says "fuck you all." I believe that's what it says on the on the LP as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know how I ended up with the test pressing, but I did. But um, yeah, but but he definitely had moods, mm-hmm. and 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 the moods are reflected in the songs he chooses or the um, the feel of the album. Uh, it was recorded in March of '88 at Trigon with Mark. Do you remember the sessions at all? Um, I remember. You know, it, it, I remember some of the later ones better, mm-hmm. and I think this because um, there was—I don't know if there was a gap between Water Two and this album, where we were away from it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I—I I, I, I do remember the rehearsal sessions fairly good. Rehearsal sessions in those in those days were in Zooks's upstairs apartment. <laughs> the, the drums—they have to put a towel on the drums that keep the neighbors from complaining, and and um, and. Zug's son um, was young at the time, pretty young at the time, and and his he put his son in for a bath so we could get some work done. And and every once in a while, you'd hear his son diving off the side of the tub into the water, <laughs> crash and splash. <laughs> so I, I remember the sessions. I remember also um, Zug's liked to. I think for shock value, he liked to have porn on the TV in the background. And and I, and 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 I didn't understand why I'm like you know, what's the deal with this? So one of the, I remember one of the first times that I just got fed up with it, I took my amplifier and moved it really close to the TV, and the magnet started making his TV go greeny blue, and he said, "Okay, okay, okay, I'll turn it off. I'll turn it off." But but um, so I remember the the rehearsal sessions pretty well. The recording sessions. You know, we did so much work at Mark Mylar's um, Trigon that some of them blur together. For, for sure, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm going, which was Scott Colby's session, right. which was. Was he calling the band non-entity at this time? No, I don't think so. I think no. I think he always thought of the band as his amazing shitheads. Okay. And and I'm sure you've been told that the his is, refers to a, a higher power. No. That's not Zoogs's uh, amazing shit hits. Oh, it is amazing shit hits. Ah, no, no one's ever told us that before. Yeah, so you'll, you so you notice that you'll if you'll see it, you'll see it's capitalized. Ah, okay. We did we did a um ra- we did a radio show um uh, in San Francisco. We're going to do a show in San Francisco probably about this time. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember that uh, Jello Biafra was on the, on also, but um, but the the station the personality of the station said you know we don't have any we don't have any bleeper buttons here so don't embarrass them. so zooks told him you could call the band zooks rift and, and his polite gentleman <laughs> i don't think he had any, any intention of calling the band non eddie i think it was just during one of his times that he he just sort of felt that that all in all 
we were just non-entities to the music business. Right. Going through the tracks, the first track, Delinquent Payments. Now, we've discussed most, most of the musicians before on this record, but not Toby Holmes. What can you tell me about Toby on tuba? Yeah, I, um, well, they, to, uh, Toby, was his main instrument was trombone. Hmm. And he does play tuba, I think, on the uh, enigmatic embryo. I uh, can't say it. <laughs> embryo. Blah, blah, yeah. So, ah, like zooks. Ah, ah. Um, but uh, but uh, Toby, you know, his primary instrument was trombone. Um, and he was a. Uh, so Toby, I think, came through John Truby. Ah, okay. I think he did some work with John Truby. Mm-hmm. And then Toby also helped Scott uh, Colby arrange his horn parts. Ah, yeah, that's right. Scott, yeah. Scott arranged his horn parts, and then he would go to Toby say and say, "Are these playable?" Mm-hmm. You know, so so he gave him some help with that. Toby was a working. He was a working musician. He actually did gigs, and so he he's one of those guys. I don't know if you, how well you know that type of musician. Um, you know, he's with the union and he's getting, you know, he's getting uh, bar mitzvahs and weddings and, you know, Disneyland, whatever. He's getting real gigs. Right. And, and, and so he's working uh, daily as much as he can. You know, it's one of those deals where you get in his car and open up the glove box and, and the bow ties fall out. Right. <laughs> you know, he's got to have a change right there. <laughs> and uh, so, so Toby was, so Toby couldn't always make rehearsals. And as a matter of fact, I remember delinquent payments. You know, the song opens up with a trombone solo. Right. And I remember that in we were in rehearsal, and Toby said, you know, Zook said, "Well, what are you going to play?" And Toby said, "Don't worry about it. Let me work it out." And then Toby actually came in with that part recorded. Oh, okay. Um, on a, I think he had a little Tascam four track or something. And he came in with it recorded, and I and at first I was kind of horrified because I had all this. this I think I think he'd used a lot of uh, gated gating sounds, so so it would have hiss, and then the hiss would suddenly stop, and and I don't know how they did it, but they just cleaned it up beautifully for the album. Hmm. But that that whole um, I don't think any of us had heard the trombone solo in, until it was actually put together. So so the delinquent payments just started without the solo. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, and Rocky Howard. I don't know where Rocky came from. I know that he also uh, worked. I think he worked weddings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Late, later, I think during um, that long jam on the, the extended version, um, which is that embryo embryification. The comp- we'll just call it compost heap. Compost heap. <laughs> thank you. Um, at compost heap. So. Uh, I think you can hear if you're if you're real if you're listening really carefully at one point because because that was a directed jam. Zooks like to do directed jams, yeah, kind of in the Zappa vein, yeah, where he'd point to you and say solo, or mm-hmm. you know, he'd give you the cut thing to cut out, and he'd point to two people and want you to work. And you could hear him yell at one point, I think, um, uh, "Godfather," and then Toby goes uh, or uh, Rock goes, Rocky goes into this, the the theme from the Godfather. <laughs> So Zoogs would, you know, Zoogs would, again, like, like a little bit like Frank, he would, um, he'd riff off of whatever was going on. Right. So if he'd heard you play the Godfather thing, 
you can bet he's going to call on you to play it on a stage or on an album or something. Uh, that track, Compost Heap, uh, Craig Unkrich asked me to ask you if you know what the song title refers to. He, th- he thinks you know. I know the words. I know what the words mean. <laughs> so, so, it, so, you know, I, I don't know why he came up with the title, but Zooks was always playing with words. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, enigmatic is, you know, um, basically undecipherable or, you know, you can't understand the intentions. Right. And, and, and embrocation is like a, like a tonic. Like some something topically you'd put on your skin or something. Okay. So for whatever reason, he thought Mrs. Compost Heap, uh, for for had no, with no reason at all, put this stuff on her. I guess. <laughs> but but you know, again, they, so much so much of Zeus's stuff I think stems from Three Stooges mm-hmm. or or something you know or Abbott and Costello. Yep. So I wouldn't be surprised if you look carefully, you'd see the character of Mrs. Compost Keep or something come up <laughs> in, in one of those. Uh, going back to delinquent payments, uh, even though it's instrumental, uh, given the title, I, I kind of feel like it's maybe uh, autobiographical. <laughs> you know, again, I, I, I don't know. He, he, he came in with titles almost before he had songs. Yeah. And then, and then I think he'd write his lyrics around that title and that feeling. And this was this was far prior to SST's famous uh, disappearing act with with uh, with royalties. Right. <laughs> so I don't think it refers to that. It it could very well be have to do with his situation, his living situation. Mm-hmm. Him and Laura were always sort of living on the edge. Right. She had a job, and and Zooks didn't didn't have a job, of course, and. So that could have to do have to do with that. Yeah. Okay. The track locked out. Tell me about playing with Richie because, as you mentioned, that song is just super intense, and you guys in particular just lock right in on that song. Yeah, you know that's one of the ones that Richie and I were able to lock in. You know, of the of the three drummers that I worked with with Zoops, which was Mark Crawford, and and. Tom Brown and then Richie. Um, I locked in much better with those with with Tom Brown and and Mark Crawford, mm. and and they were they were more predictable. Mm-hmm. And and Richie was very unpredictable. And and uh, and to his credit, one of the things about Rich I really liked is he had an element of independence with his hands and his feet, so he could be doing a number of different things. You, but you could never count on him always doing the same thing. And so, you know, if you listen to some of the other tracks, I think I end up playing more lead bass than I play real solid um, kind of uh, strong bottom ending rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, but Lockdown was different. Lockdown, uh, Lockdown is around. I don't know if you mm. realize that. I didn't know. Those wrote a number of things that were rounds. Okay. Um, I, there was there's something that him he and uh, Scott and Henry Kaiser did on on puke mm-hmm. and I can't remember what it was but it was around as well ah, where okay. where they would they would move through the parts and uh, torment was also around mm-hmm. where we would move you know and Zooks would play a part I'd play a part then I would move to his part and he would move to 
uh, John Sharkey's part. So lockout was kind of around. Okay, that's interesting. And, uh, at least it is to to Zugzin. So so where 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 I'm playing a part, and then Zugz moves to my part, and I move to his part. Um, but yeah, that was that was an intense intense song. It's it's very fast. I know that Zugz in later years we like we like doing that live, but in later years Zugz really really struggled with, um, I think maybe some arthritis. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just holding those, moving those hand positions for that song and that fast. Plus, he, he's also, I think, if I remember correctly, um, he is muting his strings. Okay. And I think he wove paper towels through the strings to get that sort of muted sound. Ah, interesting. Um, I, I didn't, I, I learned to mute with the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I did a lot of stuff with Zoogs and a lot of stuff in the sort of new wave vein, where I had that muted bass. I think like it's almost like the Cars pop band mm-hmm. sound, that sort of muted bass sound. Um, and and I and today I kind of pay for it because I have issues with my wrist because of it. Um, it is it wasn't until probably about five six years ago, I was watching video of the famous bass player um, Carol Kay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I was watching her do the good vibrations part for um, the Beach Boys. Right. And and I realized that she's got a big piece of foam over the back of her base <laughs> taped on, like with all this tape. Right. And I'm going, I could have been doing that. <laughs> so um, so I yeah, remember Zook struggled a little bit with it, but yeah, you know, it was more we were playing more a lot of hard edged um, punk like stuff. Mm-hmm. For and sure. then Richie, Richie's doing, he's alternating. He's got he he's got the, a punk drum thing going in in some measures, um, which is really a, like a sped up surf drum. Right. Yeah. And and, and um, so it's like a, it's like a it's like a, a a two count. And then and then he switches and he's and he's really fast on the hi hat. And then he moves to the toms, and I'm pretty sure that Zoogs probably wrote that part. Oh, okay, yeah. Zoogs would do that. Zoog, um, that I could, I could imagine Zoogs writing that part if I remember that he would. He say, "Okay, give me this on the high, then move to the snare, and then move to the tom, and then circle all the way around." Flipping the record over, Chromium slit negatives. Do you know? Do you know uh, what that title references? No, no, and I have thought about it for a long time <laughs> i have no idea i don't even think that is actually a term i thought i just assumed it was some sort of um photography term and mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. knew but i i don't think i've ever seen it anymore. i believe this is one of the ones mr california plays on yes yes i believe he's on that and he's also I know he's on my ship when my ship rolls in. I think he's on there, but I think he's also he does he does some overdubs in, uh, with my bare hands because I think I hear noises mm-hmm. that aren't noises that would come from an accordion. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's credited on the CD. Uh, with my bare hands, uh, sounds like a studio jam, almost. Um, I, I, I wish I remembered this, this really well. Um, by the way, Chromium Split Negatives was a a song that we played live for years afterwards. Oh yeah, it was it was it was a regular part of uh, of um, 
of what we did. And, and, and then eventually um, Zoogs would stop. He, he, for a while, he'd just go, you know, I like the band the way it is and I'm not going to play guitar. And he would just sing it and bounce around stage and without, without any guitar on it. But mm. that was a standard for uh, um, with my bare hands. Yeah. I'm listening to it and I'm thinking it doesn't, it's not a directed jam. Uh, he's, he's not, or if it is, it's, it's to a minimum, uh, minimum of direction. We must have worked a big chunk of this out in, in parts because, because there's stuff that oh, I can result. hear in listening to it again, Toby play. And remember Toby's a, like a working guy. Like he's, he's one of those guys that you throw sheet music at and he's, you know, bang, he, he, he punches that out. Right. I'm self-taught. So um, Toby would, if Toby did something just off uh, off the cuff, I've got to pick it up with my ear and try to be able to uh, do it. And there's, there's so much in there that is, um, that is doubled really well. And I'm thinking we must've worked some of the parts right. out. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, when my ship rolls in, that's a John Truby track. Now, was that something he had recorded and Zoogs liked, or was it something John brought in previously? Cause I know he played with Zoogs often, off and on. No, that's on one of John's albums. Yeah. Um, and, and it, we, we did when my ship rolls in, um, which is, uh, it's one of my favorite John Truby songs. It's a great song. He could really write a song. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. And, and I love the way the first chorus of the, of the lyrics sound kind of normal. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting into having the aliens see your face and, 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 you know, my life is a piece of crap and everybody stood around and laughed, you know, it's, it, and I, it's, I can easily see. Um, why Zoobs wanted to do that? Yeah, because because you know, I can see him reflecting him, him, uh, that himself in those lyrics. Yeah, you know, when we did this, when so after we finished this album, we went on we went on our tour. Yeah, the eighty eight tour had, and we did when my ship rolls in, uh, and and it was in my I, I thought it was one of the best parts of the show. Yeah, we also did. Um, what do we do? We. I have I have some of the songs here. Now w- that I was going to ask you about. Now was John on that tour? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, John, John. John. spent the um, a good part of the tour um, uh, on the floor of the van, eating candy bars and nuts. <laughs> and we would and we would get John up before. Back in those days, it was before um, the unification of Europe. Right. Yeah. So you'd go from country to country, and you'd have to you have to stop and you, you know, you change your money, you have to change money. You show your passports. And I remember going from uh, Holland to Germany and it was the first time I think we'd ever gone to Germany and we're, we're making jokes like Hogan's heroes type jokes. And then we get up and we really see these guys and all of a sudden it's not so funny. (laughs) And we're shaking John saying, get up, John, you know, because get off the floor. They're going to, you know, they're going to (laughs) take us out and they're going to pull every piece of equipment out and, and actually, it's a funny story. When we, we got up to the, the to the customs to pass through, and there were the German soldiers, and they asked to see our our, our passports, and and they're talking about getting the stuff out of the van, and we're we got amplifiers, we got all this stuff. I'm going, oh my god! And then they look at, I think it was my passport, <laughs> and I think I'd gotten my hat, passport at the 
post office in Hollywood. And they saw that and they were like, ah, Hollywood, <laughs> Hollywood. And they got us all out and they're taking pictures with us. Oh, they're like, oh yeah, we know Schwarzenegger. Ah. But uh, yeah, so John, yeah, John was definitely on that tour. Um, and uh, yeah, John, John liked us. He, he, he thought that he could torture me. So he thought he would we'd get to uh, a town and John would jump out of the van and race into the hotel to get a room so he could be, like be my roommate because he thought that was torturing. <laughs> like he didn't know that, like I was kind of as crazy as him, but <laughs> he thought that that was that was torture. But we all, you know, whoever got the room, got the room. Some pretty interesting shows on that tour. I. I read a bunch of Zoogs' datagrams, and you played with Killdozer, Fred Frith, the Cardiacs. It's just, I'm picturing this tour <clears throat> in, like, the Netherlands with Zoogs Rift playing with all these crazy bands. It must have been... Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just Fred Frith. Um, it was, um, that was Skeleton Crew. So, um, oh, yeah. so Chris Cutler mm -hmm. was on drums, and, uh, and those people were, to me, like, I, I had, that was the first time I'd seen Chris Cutler, I'd heard him a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I had seen Frick Frith back in LA a couple times, but it was nice to meet those guys. And they were just, they were, yeah, they were just sitting backstage playing cards and we're like, wow, <laughs> you guys are relaxed. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, there was a um, festival of the avant-garde. Mm, okay. And, uh, and so we would go from city to city in Holland <clears throat> and then we'd go to Germany and we'd go to, you know, uh, I think when Yugoslavia went to a lot of different places, but but Holland had this um, festival of the avant garde. So we moved from place to place, and I think that that night that we were playing with uh, Skeleton Crew, and uh, there was a band called Big Stick, which we kept we kept ending up on the bill with, and uh, and um, yeah, I think that was the night we recorded the live album. That was on the itinerary that I saw, so that was pre-planned to record. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because um, they had to have a mobile unit there with uh, re for recording. Mm, okay. It was, you know, it was, um, I think it was a 24-track mobile unit. Wow. It, it was good. That was, I remember, it was a great show. I remember the, uh, it was a tremendous crowd, great crowd, really large. And um, they were, they were an educated crowd. They knew them of the music i was gonna ask if people you know had the records and knew the songs and were there to see you guys well i think they were there to see the festival all on guard and it's just like you would go to a, the old days to a maybe a rock festival right and you get you know there's probably six bands on the five five bands maybe on the show each night mm. Um, that would on the tour, and so these people were there just to see these bands that were. Oh, the whole tour was the, was the, kind of the festival. Well, you, the whole so no no so so the there were probably uh, maybe I'd say five cities that mm. were the festival. I see. Okay. And so we would move from city to city, and then the other some the other bands would move, not necessarily with us. They'd go to different cities, so you didn't know who you were going to play with necessarily and like i said this band big stick i remember we thought it was they were an odd band it was a i think a husband and wife him on guitar and her on drums and and they had these gigantic headdresses <laughs> and 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 like these eye things and these gigantic headdresses and we that was the source of 
never-ending laughter for us. <laughs> big stick headdresses. Just looking at the set lists that I saw, you did a number of covers. Uh, Story of a Soldier, which is on the next record. Yeah, Story of Soldiers from uh, uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, Zooks was a huge Good, Bad, and the Ugly fan, and and, and Nino Marconi. Yeah. Um, so he had he wanted to do the opening of Story of the Soldier, mm. and and it's interesting. I think after that is a is a Truby song. Yep, yep. There's a Truby song. And I think the uh, Truby song is Alienation. Yes. Yeah. Another excellent song. Uh, yeah. Another one of my favorite Truby yeah. songs. And we had rehearsed that it, it, as a sort of Truby like song. Um, very much like like we did when my ship rolls in, but I don't remember what happened. But for some reason, I think I I suggested that just laughingly in a rehearsal, let's do it as a reggae, and it just sounded really good. Yeah. And and so we ended up on the tour. I think the recording is a sort of inverted reggae beat for alienation. Zoogs must have been in heaven over there, getting adulation from from people that knew his music? I think we all were. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, the fact that people knew me and, uh, you know, we all were just like, this is incredible. We love this. Rich, same thing. Zoogs was happy and in his element. I mean, he, I I don't ever recall ever seeing as happy as he was when he was on the road, as happy as Zoogs can be on the road because he is kind of a hypochondriac, paranoid person. Right. I, do, I you know one of the things I think I remember from that tour we were doing a show in I remember it was Cologne Germany and and generally I I drove or Richie drove and Zugs didn't drive and I don't know if that was a holdover from his nightmarish existence in the in the U, US tour right but he didn't he didn't drive or um, might have been because it was a stick that might have been it, but Richie and I would do the driving, and Zugs would sit in the always in the in the passenger seat, and he'd always have his hand out the window, and he'd sometimes entertain us. When I remember one time he we uh, he did a he sang a whole Zappa concert for us. From, you know, here's here's the order the songs would be in. He he did all the melodies and everything. And he did he did Beatles thing that you know, you later on heard on that album. He did like a whole Beatles you know, deal. So he would just sit there in the passenger seat and he'd have his arm out the window. And and when we got to Cone, we, we unloaded his stuff and his finger had swollen up. Mm-hmm. And it was just huge. And he was, uh, it, it was right at the same time we'd read in the paper back here in the States that Jim Henson, the Muppet guy, had died of flesh-eating bacteria. And Zugs was sure he had flesh-eating bacteria, and and he would not, so he would not do the sound check. He just he said that's I'm not going on. I'm not doing anything. So I remember uh, we did the sound check with uh, the guitar sound check, and uh, John Truby played Zugs' part. So he just, you know, Truby was more of a, a rhythmy kind of chick chick chicky chicky kind of guy. And, and he's like got his fingers all caught in the strings, making noises, trying to simulate what Zugs could possibly do. So Zugs refused to go on. We took him to, uh, I think I took him to a German hospital. And because and, I told him, it's no big deal. 
I said, it's like probably a bee sting or something. Right. And he's, ah, no, it's flesh eating bacteria. And, uh, and we got to the hospital and they said, it's a bee sting. <laughs> <laughs> and and I th- I'm pretty sure we went on that night. Uh, <laughs> but once he was satisfied that he wasn't dying, but, um, but no, he loved the road. He loved being on the road. He loved doing, it was night after night of interviews mm-hmm. um, and night after night of, you know, just adoration on stage. And even, even in the, even if we ended up in a small divey club or something, um, you know, they had great respect for what we did. Rarely did we have a situation where he came off stage angry. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember doing shows in, with him in uh, L.A. where where he literally would walk off the stage because people you could hear people breaking bottles and glasses where they weren't paying attention. And I remember one one night where he said, you know, he stopped us, <clears throat> completely stopped the song. And he said he told he 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 told the audience, you're rude. And if you if you don't want to hear me play, we won't play. But I'm going to try it again. They turned around. So, OK, guys, start it again. And we started again. And partway through the song, he just unplugged his guitar and walked off. And I'm, I remember I'm just standing there going, I guess I guess that's it. I guess I guess I'm walking off. <laughs> but and that, and nothing like that ever happened here. Mm. I mean, sometimes, you know, Zooks would just do odd stops. You never knew what he was going to do. So we, it, it, there's a, there's always an odd chance that we're in the middle. We finish the song and Zooks goes, "Yeah, I like that. Well, let's do it again." <laughs> and we just do it again. Or, or I think, I think one night, I think one night at the close, it might have been the close of that tour. He was upset at the manager, the road manager, who who showed up. And when we went off stage for the uh, and the the people are cheering for an encore, Zug said, "Yeah, you know." And the, the road manager's going, "Oh, you have to go on. You have to go on for an encore." Zug said, "Fine." And he just pointed to each of us and he said, "Here's the song we're playing." And he gave each of us a different key to play it in. <laughs> so it just was this crashing sound of, of stuff. And, and uh, and I remember the manager saying to Zooks afterwards, don't ever do that again. <laughs> I think that's the same night Richie yelled at the manager over dinner because I didn't think they gave us anything to drink. Richie's like, don't we get anything to drink here? <laughs> now, where does this record, Non-Entity, stack up for you with the records you played on? You know, on re-listening to it, I have to hold it a lot higher than I did. Yeah. Originally, I, you know, I, I, there were a couple things on this record, especially on the CD version, and I think I mentioned this to you, that there were a couple things that I would prefer had had. I was glad that did not make it on the album. Yeah. And and um, helpless was one of those. So you know, we so on there. There's also this another. I, I, I just didn't feel like we ever got that song together. Mm. The yeah. songs felt rough throughout the whole time i've read quotes from zoogs where he kind of says the same things like he referred to this as one of his best records but not including the bonus tracks yeah so so (laughs) you know there's a reason they weren't yeah you know zoogs was a good businessman he knew that that people would buy the album and they'd buy the cd if he threw extra material on right and so you know so you know i was not delighted when this stuff ended up on there Bring it on up was okay. I mean, but the helpless, I 
in my opinion, could have been left off. But in listening back to the main body of this album, what ended up on the album, actually, I think it's pretty good. I, I like to call this version of the band Ziggs's Dixieland Band. Uh, yeah. Because there's there's a lot, there's less um, sort of hardcore rhythm section mm-hmm. and more everybody doing a part that, that, that did dovetail, but they're not really written perfectly. So you've got, you've got your accordion going on and then you've got, uh, you've almost got a, you almost got a, like a solo accordion and a solo trombone. And I'm kind of doing a bass solo. And, and so I, I used to say, yeah, this is kind of the Dixieland version um, with all these instruments going on. But, but in listening to it again, I think it's a very good album. Yeah, that's it's great. It's not my favorite album. Um, I actually, I think Torment might be my favorite. A Villagers, are, I think, a very cohesive album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, I, you know, it would be great. It would be nice if you, when you get the Villagers, I don't know if you're going to get the Villagers. Is it is SST, Villagers? SST? No, no. Oh, that's the musical tragedies. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I was going to say, if we, we could get Joe Newman on here, too. We, I, I'd do it with Joe Newman. Oh, Yeah. Because that was because uh, you know you can talk to both of us because that was a lot of fun doing that album. Might have to do a bonus episode or something. I'm going to be pretty pretty sad when we're when we're past the Zoogs era. I, we've only got two left for for SST, Murdering Hell's uh, Happy Cretans and Torment. I think. You know what? I, I forgot Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans is also one of my favorites. Yeah. I, I I really like the live side. I really like coming back and editing that to get it into that concise. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to give a feel of what the band's like live. Yeah, yeah. I just think I think that's a really good album too. I think I think I think starting with Water Two, Zoogs was starting to look at things differently with the band. I think Water Two is a very cohesive album. It's got some. I I just I love the band tracks on Water Two. Mm-hmm. They're very solid tracks. You know, I think he got us. I think he started getting more solid musicians that knew him. Um, you know, some of the guys on the early albums were were like session guys. And and you know, when I when I first started with Zoogs in with as I was telling you with Island Living Puke, he would give me parts. He'd say, "This is the part I want you to play. This is the part I want you to play." By the time we had Non-Entity, he was trusting me, and he was you know in Water Two, he still was giving me parts. But by Non-Entity. We'd work together so much. He was like, "Yeah, okay, give me." And and one of the, the reasons I turned, went to the fretless bass was because I said, "Well, I want to be able to give him semitones between semitones, things things that that sound like a right part, but there's something odd about." It. Right. And so maybe he say, "Well, just give me you know a regular rock and roll blues thing behind this, but but give me something twisted." And I go, okay, okay, I'll give you something <laughs> twisted. And and I and after a while, uh, I just kind of knew what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the same, you know, as we went along, especially when 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 um, Tom came into the band, because then all of a sudden, Tom Brown and I were a solid rhythm section. Yeah. And and then Zoogs was free to to be a little wilder in what he wanted to do, knowing he always had that going on underneath so a lot of things change and 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 i do know that zooks was always in search of his great uh layla <laughs> his great guitar song that was going to be his guitar epic right. kind of ballady epic and and uh i think later on villagers 
he kind of felt like he got there. But um, yeah, and he had a lot of goals that, uh, you know, he, he, I'm sure it was very frustrating for him to to say, here are my goals on this. And and we've done an album and and it fell short of what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, and and because of the, the limited budget and the limited time, um, it often fell short. And we, we sort of had this expression, you know, when, when, when it didn't go, when, when a take didn't go like I wanted it to go. And I would say to Zooks, yeah, I, I didn't, I don't like the bass part. And he would just say to me, listen to it for a while. And if you can live with it, mm-hmm. it let's live with it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's rock and roll, you know? Yeah. And if, and if it isn't, and, and if it isn't, we can go back and we'll go back and do it. And so a lot of times, um, I think one of the things he would do is, I think he, he would poke, he tried to poke the bear with Scott uh, Colby because <laughs> Scott was a um, a Steely Dan fan. Right. And Zooks would go, this isn't Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Willie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure, Brent. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Yet another slice of the Zoog story right from someone who was there. So cool to add that to the tale of Zoog's Rift. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, I should just really want to hear that band he had with Scott Colby, Little Triggers slash Pressure. Yeah, yeah. I just, I want to hear all of that stuff, man. All these bands. <laughs> I found it really fascinating listening to him describe Zoog's constructing a song mm-hmm. and his, like, you know, his sense of timing. Well, I think one of the best Zoog stories I've ever heard was saying, yeah, okay, we'll go play that encore, but everyone play the song in a different key. <laughs> that, that might be the most Zoog's thing I've ever heard almost. <laughs> that band he mentions that they played with, on their European tour, Big Stick. They're a New York City art rock band. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've got a few of their... Well, I, th- ah, I think I've got maybe like two 12 inches. I can't recall. Mm-hmm. But noisy art rock, for sure. Big Stick. Yeah. Uh, I like how he described this as Zoogs's Dixieland band. That's fitting with the accordion, trombone, and tuba. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Here's another uh, datagram I have, Ryan. This is the Handy Danny Reviewer's Guide to Non-Entity. <laughs> Boy Howdy, the new Zoog's Rift album, Non-Entity, former working title, Water 3 Fan, Black Data, comes out in a few weeks. So we thought we'd give you rock journalists a helping hand in composing and structuring your reviews of it. Of course, not implying that you're too stupid, short-sighted, or lazy to do it right yourself. You can even keep the most important element, your byline. Here we go. Number one, whatever you do, don't forget to compare it to back Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa, regardless of what it sounds like. <laughs> don't forget to use the word quirky. It, that I'm not. I'm just giving you excerpts from this. It's quite long. <laughs> Number two. Make sure to perform some moronic amateur psychoanalysis of my personality, intellect, and motivations. <laughs> Assume that the stupidity on my records is not intellectual satire meant to reflect the idiocy of the sick world we live in, but the mere obnoxious joking around of some fat, repulsive slob who must have played the class clown when he was in high school, belch- belching and hanging pencils out of his nose. 
Three, there is an accordion on this upcoming album. Accordion equals Tom Waits. Need I say more? (laughs) Four, rather than acknowledging that this record has a pleasant, refreshing, relaxed, change of pace feel to it, you should merely conclude that I'm selling out by not including the usual doses of screaming, profanities, and dissonance. I hope you can use these friendly, helpful hints. They'll make you look good. Which, after all, is what it's all about. Don't forget to sell your free promo copy afterwards, assuming that you listen to it at all before writing the review. Go to it, kids. Zoog's Rift, the liquid Moamo. I do have some reviews of this record, man, and they were good. People liked it, so I'll mm-hmm. give you a little taste of some of those after we, uh, we go through these tracks. History Lesson, Part 2. So, Ryan, this came out in May of 1988 on LP and cassette, as we've already mentioned, later on CD in 1990 with three bonus tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear a Spaceman spiel on this record? Mm -hmm. So here's what Mr. Whitaker said. Zoog's Rift, non-entity. On non-entity, Zoog's does away with all the things that made him, how should we say it, inaccessible in the past? expanding into new territory with great rock jazz material. He brings it all home with trombone and accordion sounds. Nine new Zoog's tunes include the Chromium Slit Negative and Look at the Fool. Cassette includes two bonus tracks, is what it says here. Mm. And, the, and the CD, of course, includes three bonus tracks. All right. So track one, side one, Delinquent payments written by zoogs it's nine minutes long as willie mentions in the interview the trumpet you hear at the beginning was pre-recorded by toby mm-hmm. holmes and dropped in later zoogs's guitar tone stands out right away it's very clean like there's an effect on it like maybe some chorus or something as the song goes along you can hear some manipulated guitar there are m- multiple guitar tracks on this Uh, some kind of discordant accordion and then after a lengthy jam it kind of goes back into the melody we hear like as the intro this is an instrumental song yeah kind of has a like almost a a midnight cowboy sound with the accordion for me yeah i can i can see that some parts not the whole nine minutes just some parts yep uh track two locked out written by Zoogs, just a short two-minute song. This is also the name of a Zoogs Rift book that he did, which I believe is just a compilation of a bunch of his datagrams. Uh, as Willie points out, this is a round, which I definitely wouldn't have picked up on, I don't think. Uh, a fast. One of the reviews says, this is a fast-paced cut that would be perfect for chases in film noir movies. Willie says in the interview, I'm playing more lead bass than I do solid rhythm. And this song, I would say, is one of those. He's just yep. tearing it up. Track three, Look at the Fool. This is a Tim Buckley cover. Uh, so Tim Buckley was a 60s, 70s folk singer and songwriter, lady, later delving into jazz, experimental, psychedelia, and avant-garde. He died, age 28, of a heroin overdose on June 29, 1975. 
friends and family later said that his death was predictable. He had a real self-destructive streak. Mm. This track, as well as two of the CD bonus tracks, are all off of his final studio album, Look at the Fool, released September 74. This is what's termed his sex funk period. Kind of <laughs> alienated his hippie folk audience. This is the first cut on that LP, and the two bonus tracks are like the next three, all in that order. This is a fairly faithful version, minus mm-hmm. Zoogs' increasingly deranged vocal. Yeah. It kind of sounds, you mentioned this in the interview too with Willie, it, it kind of sounds like the vocals on the B-side of Son of Puke. Yeah. Almost. Not surprising that Zoogs was into this. Like he's in, he's into the album that alienated all the fans. Yeah. That's that's the one he wants to cover songs off of. Yeah. And that he did three off the same record, because I really noticed that on the Son of Puke, like the one Wings album or Paul yep. McCartney album, Red Rose Speedway, he covered like half the album. <laughs> <laughs> and just like that, if you're listening on LP, we're done side one. Flip it over and we've got Chromium Slit Negatives. Just a shorter song written by Zoogs, 2 minutes, 18 seconds. Love this. The, the sarcasm in the lyrics is pure Zoogs. Mm-hmm. We'll do the boogaloo together, and then you can take off your sweater. Uh, one of the reviews calls this a silly Beatle-esque thing. Willie said in the interview, this stayed in the set for years. This one has Craig Unkrich on it, and you can hear it. Craig told me he rejoined the band at the later stages of rehearsals for non-entity. He says, I never asked a lot of questions, but it appeared that the band name was changed permanently or temporarily to non-entity. I played on a couple of songs that were on the record and rehearsed material to be performed live. Holland was basically a done deal with SST, but Zoogs went to Chuck and insisted that I be included. According to Zoogs, he told Chuck he wouldn't do the tour unless I was added. I bought new gear, t-shirts were printed up with all of the band members' names on them, then I did some unfortunate and stupid things that led to my being dismissed from the band prior to the tour. It was all my fault, and I'm not complaining. I felt bad for Zoogs when he had to tell Chuck that I wasn't going to be involved after all. Then we go on to the song, With My Bare Hands, written by mm-hmm. Zoogs, 11 minutes, 26 seconds, definitely some time signature stuff here after listening to this again following the interview with willie he's right there's no way some of this song wasn't pre-planned yeah bass the bass playing is a big highlight for me on this one too yeah uh richie has some great jazzy flourishes on the drums too uh one of the reviews says i prefer the weirder self-indulgent cuts like with my bare hands an improvisational song that changes pace frequently and then we end the LP version with When My Ship Rolls In, a John Truby song. Uh, if anybody hasn't heard our interview with John Truby, you should go back and, and listen to that. He talks about how he wrestled publishing and mechanical royalties out of Greg Ginn for this song. It's a hilarious story. Uh, I believe I asked Willie in the interview if this song was already recorded or if John brought it in. As far as I can tell, John's version didn't come out until two years after this on his 1990 solo album, Strange Hippie Sex Carnival, uh, which also contains his song Alienation, which we'll be hearing on Murdering Hell's Happy Cretans in a live version, Mm -hmm. as well as a live version of this song. 
John Trubini definitely is an underrated songwriter, in my opinion. Craig plays on this one. Uh, love how it starts with accordion. Kind of made me think of They Might Be Giants, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I had that written down, too. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy, yeah. They Might Be Giants, yeah. and Don't Forget About Tom Waits. When you really focus on the lyrics, you realize how messed up this song is. I mm. thought Willie's fret, fretless bass goes so nice with the trumpet. They almost like meld together with the trump with the trombone. Trombone, yep. Yeah, love the flanged solo section. It's almost like a gospel song. Mm-hmm. You can hear John's version on his Bandcamp if you don't have the record. Uh, there's a pedal steel on it, and John can really belt out a song too. And then, uh, as we mentioned, there's the three bonus tracks. I read a few things where Zoog's kind of really regretted releasing these and Willie doesn't sound like he was too wild about it either. Yeah. There's a 22 minute jam called the <laughs> enig- enigmatic embrocation of Mrs. Compost Heap with, that's just all over the place. It starts with uh, How much is that doggy in the yeah, window? Tuba. <laughs> this is the song Truby plays on. There's some like Led Zeppelin rock and roll type of riffs Craig playing some discordant stuff on the synth the godfather theme on accordion an oompa polka version of roll out the barrel the when my ship rolls in riff on tuba again at one point lots of false endings on this one I would say so Willie mentioned that there's some reference to Mrs. Compost Heap out there did you take a look? I found one thing, but I don't think it's it. No, I didn't. I didn't look. No. So the Google machine could only point me in the direction of a Simpsons episode where there is someone on it. Uh, it looks to be like a a Simpsons news clip where they are doing um, an on-the-scene type of news story on Mrs. McFeerly's compost heap. Huh. is what it's called and it's this lady like with a shotgun on her porch protecting a compost heap that's the closest reference i could find to mrs compost heap i wonder if that is a zoog's reference though because matt Groening was a huge zoog's fan it might have been like maybe mrs mcfearley's compost heap came after that episode was from 89 this is, record's from 88, so Matt Groening maybe did that. But Willie seemed to think that there was something out there that would predate this song, and I couldn't find it. I think he was maybe just assuming that that was a possibility mm, because, of the, I see. because of Zeus's love for the Three Stooges. And then, Ryan, there's just the two more Tim Buckley covers, Bring It On Up and Helpless, which they don't even really sound like they're maybe complete. Yeah, yeah, perhaps. They've got some, you know, okay, cool vocals, funky trombones, some bongos. You know, they definitely fit with, like, the look at the fool sound. Yeah. You know, those three those three go together for sure. I have some reviews here, Ryan. Here's one. It says, after reading the liner notes, I expected a novelty album that would wear thin after a few chuckles. Not so. This music is as self-indulgent, intriguing, and original as Sunra's. The 11-minute mm. instrumental with my bare hands keeps your interest for the full time, and Look at the Fool catches your ear with its lyrics. 
Here's another one. The possibly psychotic, possibly of another planet, creatively weirder than even Zappa's wildest nightmares, Liquid Moamo himself, Zoog's Rift, tinkers about with the public's ever-loving cerebellum, again with the third installment of his Water Trilogy, a bizarre chunk of vinyl entitled Non-Entity. If you are familiar with Zugzi, then this LP might seem a bit more linear and musical than previous efforts. If you're not, well, it's strange. This guy goes through with certain cacophonic freakouts even Captain Beefheart wouldn't have tried, if that gives you a clearer picture. But there is a logic in there based on Captain Beefheart, freeform jazz, hallucinogenics, and basic bad attitude. Some very linear offerings with acoustic guitars even balance this disc out and make it a quirky, funny, and fascinating experience. Sounds like that guy took his instructions from that one datagram a bit. <laughs> yeah. If you think there's nothing challenging on the LA club rock scene, I dare you to check out Zoog's Rift and Non-Entity. Some dadaist, pissed-off, intelligent Captain, Be Captain Beefheartisms for people who enjoy a little something to listen to with their LA club music. Here's from Option Magazine, James Hopkins. For someone with the reputation of being a loony ranter, Zoogs is certainly a thoughtful, cunning musician. In this final chapter in the Water Trilogy, Rift creates an album evenly balanced between unsettling yet flowing instrumental jams, blending dissonant free jazz rock with 60s style distorted guitar, and vocal tunes delivered with straightforward beats and recognizable melodies. Forget about Zoogs' manifestos of resentment. This is an intelligent fusion of musics, given cliché-smashing power by a disappointed romantics probe for something new. Here's another one. Now here's a guy with balls, although no one knows how many. Zoogs Rift, who along with his band, <laughs> play, plays, plays very complex Beefheartian irritation rock that has to be experienced. Irritation rock. <laughs> that is very good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this other one just ends with, The trilogy has now been completed. You can all go home and melt now. Lots of these uh, reference, you know, how he's usually railing and ranting in an unfriendly universe, but not so much on, on this record. Lots of people picked that out for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to miss if you know Zoog's work, yeah. that this one is much more straight ahead. Hit us with some uh, datagrams, Ryan, off the packaging. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk about the artwork. So the front cover is an intimate looking through a thicket photo of Zoog's. Yep. And it says, Thalidomide Productions presents an album by Zoog's Rift, non-entity, Water 3, fan black data, uh, the inside artwork is cool. It's like there is a kind of a weird woodcut animal for each member of the band, although I'm not sure that it's Zoogs, but there is some sort of weird, almost looks like a pagan minotaur type animal under Zoogs. Uh, it's probably someone else dressed up in that type of outfit. The, the datagram on the inner part though is not something i would repeat uh verbatim but it it's called my trip 
to the grave of Pigmeat Markham. And it's really a story, of course, that Zug has made up where the Pope, seemingly on a diplomatic visit to L.A., is really there to party with Zug's rift. And Zug's and the Pope go to Pizza Hut, and they end up hanging out at Zuma Beach. They get totally smashed. They uh, hang out with some ladies. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and then in the morning when they wake up, Zugs is, uh, he makes, Zugs makes the Pope like a, uh, a hangover cure in the morning. And that's kind of the gist of that datagram. <laughs> the, the back cover, though, has got another one called Puke Island Paradise. And that is definitely a, a more of a Zoog's rant about how he is Zoog's rift, the liquid, mo, the liquid Moamo, and his purpose is to cosmogate liquef, liquefaction. <laughs> uh, and uh, some uh, some cool um, band photos, I guess, on the back. It looks like the band, like non-entity. Uh, but then just an inset of Zoogs in his Gold's Gym shirt pointing at you, and it says, you know, the legendary Liquid Moamo underneath. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like where it says here, what are my limitations? None. Am I happy? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of capital letters and exclamation points in that datagram yeah. rant. Yeah. What's my name? Zoog's Rift. Who am I? I am the Liquid Muamo. What is my purpose? To Cosmogate Liquefaction. The back cover of the CD tray card, anyways, it says, No Laughing Matter, Non-Entity is Zoog's Rift's ninth album and is the third and final installment in the Water Trilogy. It also has the Zoog's Rift hotline here. And, uh, talks about the credits that we've already mentioned in terms of Mark Mylar, Trigon, John Golden, etc. We do have Ryan on the LP, some dead wax. Right. I, I only have the CD, so lay it on me. Side A says, no laughing matter. And side B says, fuck all of you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I guess it's all over but the ballot result, man. That's right. Ballot result. So I'm going to throw in for uh, With My Bare Hands. I like that one the best. It's long, but it's my favorite one. Okay. Uh, my favorites were Locked Out, which I thought was going to be your pick. That one's good. Uh, chromium Slit Negatives. <laughs> and my favorite was When My Ship Rolls In. Yeah. I just was singing that song all week, man. It was stuck in my head. Let's go with the Truby tune. Good one. Yeah. I was feeling a little out there with uh, an 11-minute intro, but I hear you on that one. Okay. Cool. Hey, thanks to Craig and John Butler Kerr for sending some stuff, and thanks to Willie Lappin for being a guest. Yeah. All right, Ryan, what's next week? Next week, Brant, it's been a while, but we are back with... SST 185 a record by the alternatives group therapy I can't wait man I like the alternatives yeah hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter Tumblr all at Mojack pod we post all kinds of info and 
tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.